Okay, good morning. We're going to begin, and if you're here, you braved the coldness. Thank you, and we're excited that you're online watching us, either live or eventually throughout the day. And we're going to begin with Psalm 42. This, this particular psalm speaks of people who are longing to be with their church, longing to be in worship. It also speaks of an issue this person is facing in their life that's um, that's keeping them from being together or is keeping them from, from finding peace and joy in their life. And I think for many people right now, they can identify with that, that they're, they're experiencing some sort of problem. It could be on the, on the level of the personal in, in their life, on their workplace or in the family or as a society or as November is looming. Uh, there's a lot of discord. And so... Let's read this together as we begin, and it's going to remind us that God is God, and that we, even the deepest part of ourselves, can rely on that. We can cast ourselves upon the Lord and know that we will not come up empty. So this is what Psalm 42 says as it calls us together today. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food, day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All the breakers of your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones and my adversaries, they taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down? And why is there turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So Lord God, we are here. We're praying to you because we know that only in you do we have that, that eternal hope, but also that hope for the present. In the midst of the madness and, and in the turmoil that we're living now because of either pandemics or societal unrest because of justice or because of uh, looming elections and the polarization that that has caused in our society, um, we stop and pause now and remember that above it all, you are God. And that while we may take sides and express our opinions, ultimately, Lord, we're here to pause. We're here to pause and listen. To simply be before you. And in so doing, offer ourselves as an act of living worship. Lord, we will bring to you songs, not because we know you need them, but because they're a way for us to be together. So lift our voices now 
use the instruments and, and all the preparation that they have made. Use this time, Lord, to be a space where we, we begin to approach you once again remembering where we do place our hope. Yes, this in your name, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's join with Felipe and the team in, in a song, and then we'll start right into the scriptures today. If you want to be ahead of us, too, we're going to be joining together in Mark 16. Well, let's first do this first song together as we worship.
God is good all the time, all the time. God is good, yes. Especially as the seasons turn. Actually, I love it. It's sweater weather, at least for a moment in Los Angeles. It's so good to feel like we're, we're being a little more cozy as the season goes on. It reminds us also that seasons change. And I know that this has been a very difficult season for so many people. And um, as we feel that breeze and it was actually kind of nice to know that um, there is a season and a time for all things. And this has been, for many people, not just a, a hard time, but also a, a growing time. I think for many people, this has been a growing time. Even if you don't realize it, it's been a moment where uh, a personal sense of maturity has been, has been asked of you, and that has been a, a way for you to grow, but also in spiritual maturity, as we have been asking questions of God and to God, why or where are you? That's where we've been together as River too. We've been asking that question, where is God? Moved through that, moved into a little resurrection celebration, and now we're, we're lingering in resurrection. Too often the celebration of resurrection is something we only concentrate on there in April around Easter. Um, we're doing seven weeks of hope interrupting despair. And, that's a very intentional phrase, hope interrupting despair. As we look at each of these seven moments where the resurrected Jesus had an encounter with another person, what we see in each and every instance is it was an unexpected interruption. It was a moment in which people were going about either their normal lives or they were trying to, uh, as we saw with the government, trying to cover up the whole resurrection idea, or as we saw, and today we'll see again, the people who were following Jesus, who were very close to him, who Jesus called friends, they, they in the aftermath of the crucifixion, were, were mourning. They were they were thinking about things of, of burial and how to go and anoint his body well and how to mourn well and lament, to go through the grief cycle. In their despair, in each of the in each of the stories that we've encountered. The resurrection of Jesus has come as not necessarily a welcome interruption. In fact, we're going to read a story now. It's in Mark. It's the very end of Mark. Mark 16. So you can go there with me, either on your phone or if you're on a computer at home, we can just kind of open up a new tab and type in Google uh, just Mark 16, they'll pop right up for you. And here at the end of the Gospel of Mark, we get the story of this resurrection, and then Mary Magdalene and, and Mary, the mother of James, and also Salome, who are coming to, to do what they should do when someone dies, which is go and, and mourn and prepare the body and do all the traditional ways that we grieve. And we're going to see here, take notice as we're reading, if the interruption seems like something that's welcomed to them or something else. 
Mark 16, starting in verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? But when they looked up, But when they looked up, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the woman went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Mic drop. That's the end of the Gospel of Mark. That's the end of the story. They were trembling and bewildered. They fled the tomb in their fright. They literally hightailed and ran, and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. <laughs> Period. Close the book. That's how Mark ends. Now, in some in some Bibles, you'll see that there is now a, a, a further a further set of words that are in italics. Does your Bible have that? Um, so. The, the most original manuscripts we have of Mark, and this is getting a little geeky again, most original manuscripts we have that Mark actually either ended there or we lost the back end of Mark. And so what you see filled in there is from the other Gospels, is from other accounts that we have, because we know there's more to the story, right? You can read the rest of scriptures. You know that there's more to the story. Jesus appears to the other disciples. Mary does go. We've already preached on this the last couple of weeks. Mary does go. And and she does tell the disciples, and Peter and um, John run to the tomb, and there's a lot more that happens. But with Mark, with this gospel that we have, it ends right here. That they are bewildered, that they were scared, they fled the tomb. This was an interruption that was not expected, and it was not met with their own senses, with their own imaginations, with their own emotions in a kind way. It scared them out of their minds. That's the Greek word there for bewildered. It scared them out of their minds. And it says that they fled. No other place in the scripture do we see that word where they fled the tomb. They ran away. Now, we know from the other Gospels, they were running away in order to then show up at the house of the disciples and, and to share with them what had happened. But it does say here again that they said nothing to no one because they were afraid. They weren't even out there sharing the Gospel when it hit them right across the face because they were so afraid. Of what? Well, we know that later the disciples would be in a room and, and they would lock the doors, it says, because they were scared of the Jews that they might come, it said, and arrest them and do exactly to them what they had just done to Jesus. 
Maybe also the, the women were scared that they would be arrested if they began talking about news that Jesus had been resurrected. Maybe they were simply scared out of their minds and, and they didn't know what to do with that. And they were, they were running like, like chickens with their heads cut off, trying to figure out what to do next because it was such a terrifying experience. Maybe they were afraid because they would be seen as, as crazy. Right? That's actually the response that they first get when they come to the disciples. We've seen that in the other passages. They come to the disciples and say, hey, we've just been to the tomb. By the way, he's not there. And some angels talked to us and said that he had risen. And the, the response of the disciples is what? This is nonsense. <laughs> Peter does get up and go. But all the other disciples and John, all the other disciples call the woman crazy. They have reasons to be a little worried about how they're going to be received about this news that they have. They flee the tomb because it was such a, a scary interruption of what they were expecting. They're expecting death, and they found the complete opposite. They found a, a form of life that is almost vicious to comprehend. It's a shock to the senses going somewhere and expecting to be mourning someone who has died, like a funeral, right? You're going somewhere where you're, you are going to be paying your last respects to a person and put them in the ground. And when you get there, the news that you learn is what? The person's walking around? The person's alive? That would be hard to, to you have this, been through this process of watching them die. You're starting that grief cycle. It's a scary thing, and those angels in their flashing lightning white, I mean... Okay, so yesterday, we were coming home from Sacramento. My sister just had a new baby, so I have a new nephew, so I got to hold a two-week-old the last couple days. It was very special. Um, the cutest thing, though, was Amaya holding the little baby and rocking it like one of her little dolls at home, and she started to sing, and yeah, just so cute. It warms the heart. And then we... We're leaving Sacramento, and Christy said, so, do you want to go by San Francisco? <laughs> and I, I was, yeah, that sounds great. Let's take a long road trip. Let's take the long cut home. So from Sacramento, we went over to San Francisco. And of course, we had to see the Golden Gate Bridge. You know, something that the kids have been learning about in their Zoom school was the Golden, Skate, the Golden State, Golden Gate Bridge. Thank you, Caleb. So we wanted to go and find a place where you could see the Golden Gate Bridge, the perfect vantage point. And so we, we came down on the freeway, and there was a sign that said, Vista Point, Golden Gate. So we said, okay, obviously that's where we need to be. So we got off the freeway. We got off, and instead of going towards the Golden Gate, there's a detour sign that had us going away from the bridge. We're like, oh, okay, we'll probably just wrap around. They're doing some construction. So we go down the street. About a mile later, we're still going in the wrong direction. At that point, I got out my phone. I'm pulling up on Google Maps. Like, where, where are we going right now? Like, this is not the right direction. And then we entered into a tunnel. So we're now underground. And the tunnel was the longest tunnel I think I may have ever been in in my life. It was so long. Google Maps stopped working because I'm underground. So now instead of being on a, on a high point, above, maybe on a hill or something, looking at the Golden Gate Bridge and looking across San Francisco and the Bay. Instead of being where I wanted to be, where am I? 
the exact opposite place. I'm underground, for goodness sakes. You can't see anything. About a mile later, we come out of that tunnel. And again, we start this um, snake-like drive um, up, up a hill, wondering where in the world we were until we came out of the top of the hill. And what did we see? We were on top of a mountain that I had never been on before. I've seen the Golden Gate from many different vantage points, never this one. We ended up on top of a mountain, looking down upon the Golden Gate Bridge and San Francisco in the background. It was the exact perfect place that you would want to take someone that was seeing the Golden Gate Bridge for the first time. When we're in the middle, we don't always understand why it's good that we're on this path. In the middle of our stories, we don't always understand why something that could appear so frightening or, or so hard to believe is exactly where God wants us to be. Sometimes we feel like we're underground and there's, there's darkness all around us, we're going in the wrong direction. In the middle of the story, we can't always appreciate that God has us on that journey for the very reason that our hopes will be fulfilled, that our dreams will come true, that life will actually have the last say and that the sting of death will be eradicated. As the woman encountered Jesus, not where he should be that day, it says that they're filled with fear. They're filled with bewilderment. They're out of their minds. They don't understand. They actually run away from this news, and they don't tell anyone, even though we all know as the Christian church, one of the most important things that we're supposed to do is spread the good news. We're supposed to use the E word in the church. What's the E word? Evangelism. We're supposed to evangelize. That's like part of being a Christian, right? And the first people who hear the news of Jesus, what do they do? They run away and say nothing to no one. <laughs> they eventually do. They eventually are the first bearers of the good news. These women are the first ones that get to experience the resurrection and the first ones who are given that commission to tell the good news. And those women are the first ones that get to share the good news. But only after being in the dark tunnel <laughs> Only after that experience of not understanding why they are where they are, in fact, being filled with emotions that are the opposite of what they would want, of, of fear, of not understanding what's going on. God has come into, into the world in Jesus and in, in the form of a human has shown us what life can look like when it is uprooted. When it's uprooted, what do I mean by this? Jesus, when he is back to life, when he stands again, that resurrection, if you've seen the image for our series, resurrection literally means in the Greek, resurge, or, or to stand again is this word, anastasis. Jesus stands again, and in that, instead of remaining in the power of death, he is uprooted from that expectation. And not just the power of death, but in fact, Jesus came to uproot every single expectation we have about this life. What we do is we send our roots deep down into this world and we begin to try and make our lives based on this world, on the logic of this world. We, we put our hopes in things like 
I'll just name it, elections. We put our hopes in things like the ability for our society to rise up in social justice. We put our hopes, we put our roots deep down into things like the person we're gonna marry. We put our roots deep down into things like our children. We put our roots deep down into things like, like stock or, or saving accounts. We put our roots deep down into this world. And Jesus came to show us that that's actually not how we were created to be. We were created to put our roots deep down into the hope of, of our living God, living and active. And Jesus showed us a way to live a life that does care about politics, but doesn't root ourselves, our hopes, our deepest dreams in there. And Jesus said to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. We're supposed to be good citizens. But that's not where we base our hope that 2021 will be a year of the Lord. Or our, our finances. Jesus was so clear that we can't serve two masters. I'm just giving you examples. I'm just giving you examples of the ways that Jesus was was not rooted into this world and showed us a way to live that's uprooted from this world. But when we are uprooted, in the moment it often feels uncomfortable. In the moment it often feels even painful. We can be filled with fear or sadness, discontentment, or, or we can just be confused about what's going on. Why, why is that root that I have seemingly being shorn off by God? Why did he not stay in that grave like I expected him to? And as we're taken up and as we're uprooted, we're, we're flipped over. We're given a new name. We're given a new image. We are, as Paul says, a new creation. You are, cre you are given back that original design that, that Jesus has given to you as a parent, as a spouse, as someone working in this world, as someone who is a good citizen in this world, and as we're rooted in God, it feels like we're being flipped over. It feels like we're being thrown upside down. A resurrection feels like you are on top of your head, standing. But that's only because we were disoriented to begin with. Rather, as we are turned upside down in this world, what's happening is we are being put right side up as I was passing through the tunnel underneath the mountain, it felt like I was being turned upside down, but really that had to happen so I could be put right side up to get to exactly where I wanted to be. And that's what God is doing in each of your lives at this very moment. In those moments in which you feel like things are confusing, in which you feel like it's taking longer than it should as you're passing through life, as, as you're confused about why, the where you've placed your hopes and things like, again, I'll name it, an election seems to be going in the wrong direction. It's okay. God has this. It's okay. God is working all things in his control for the good of those who are believing in his purposes. It's okay. You feel like you're being thrown and uprooted, but that's because God knows the right orientation for your life. This is a good thing that we're passing through some of these hardships, because it's, it's actually going down deep. It's showing us where our roots maybe are inappropriately connected to things in this world that will disappoint us whenever we, whenever we linger there to find our nourishment there. 
And these are times for you, they're, they're joyous times even, for you to find new ways to be uprooted with Jesus. Even, even like those women, as they flee from the tomb, they're being uprooted in their expectations that death is the final answer. Later in joy, they show up at the house to tell the disciples what's happening. Later in joy, as you heard Dan preach last week, Mary will stand and she will hear Jesus call her name. As Dan preached, I loved it, moving from bitterness to joy. That, and then she turns around and latches. She deeply roots herself in Jesus as she says, Rabboni, my teacher, my Lord, my Savior. So this is a day of good news. That Jesus comes into your life and even right now, as you're passing through the hardships of this world, he is actively uprooting you. This is something he's doing for you and to you. This is something that we get to experience. He's uprooting you, and he's turning you what might feel like upside down, but he's turning you right side up. And he's getting you to that vantage point where you can look down and you can see how God has created you to be and what God has created you to do. Lord Father, our prayer is that as we continue into this, into this difficult year of 2020, that you would continue to use this, use these days that we have now, use every hour that we have to be showing us where, where you're leading us. Give us the confidence right now that even as we're passing through the time, that even as things seem dark, even as it seems like the wrong direction, that nevertheless, you are showing us that you are leading us that you are you are alongside of us you are the one who is bringing us back into life a resurrection lord for us while it may feel scary or while it may be disconcerting or illogical lord god we're grateful that you have done it that you have put us on this roller coaster back to life. So Lord, use, use these days and help us as we are uprooted. Help us, Lord, to continue to, to bear faith and trust in who you are and who you have called us to be. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.